wrestling fans, are you ready? Yes! 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 For the thousands in attendance and the millions watching around the world, uh, let's get ready to rumble! Stupid idiot. Shut your mouth, you thong-wearing fatty. Party's over, Grandpa. Kane was there! Kane was there too! Yeah! No enhancement needed. This ain't Monday Night Raw! This fight's right! It's Wrestle Rant Radio. Happy Thursday, folks, and welcome back to Wrestle Rant Radio for September 20th, 2018. I am Graham Gius and Matthews. Hope you guys are doing well. And first and foremost, before I get to anything else wrestling-related on this week's podcast, whether it be Hell in a Cell, Raw, SmackDown, or all the other news and notes I have yet to discuss from the past week in wrestling, I do want to note this. I just got done reading an email from Northeast Wrestling, one of the premier uh, independent wrestling promotions here in the Northeast. I've been going to them now for the past decade-plus, maybe nine years or so, nine and a half years, There I've met so many great wrestlers, including the Hardy Boys, Kurt Angle, AJ Styles. The list goes on and on. Pentagon Jr. last year. Coming in November, on November 9th. Now, again, this might not be applicable to most of you if you don't live in the Northeast, but sorry. Um, I just wanted to bring this up just because I just got done reading an email about it. Coming on November 9th in Poughkeepsie, New York, we got Kenny Omega signed, sealed, and delivered for that show. Which is pretty big news when you consider Kenny Omega does not do many independent wrestling appearances outside of Ring of Honor, New Japan. The guy really largely competes in Japan. So for him to journey on over to the U.S. and do a Northeast wrestling show of all things, which he may have done before, I'm not sure. At least in the time that I've been going to these shows, I've never seen Kenny Omega on the card for one of these shows. So I'm really looking forward to that. Obviously, I live in Connecticut. It's a bit, not out of the way, but uh, it's a bit of a drive from here, about two hours from where I live. Still, that's well worth checking out because that's going to be fucking awesome. Kenny Omega's the man, one of the top wrestlers in the world right now that very well could be WWE bound by the spring of 2019. So, And also, I've never seen him compete in person before. I've never even seen him live, not even once. I've been to a number of Ring of Honor shows, never a New Japan show, so that would explain it right there. But uh, looking forward to seeing Kenny Omega on November 9th in Poughkeepsie, New York. For all you other Northeast fans, I would certainly recommend checking that out. Northeast Wrestling never disappoints. And also on the bill, Rob Van Dam, who I had the pleasure of meeting about eh, two years ago at a chaotic wrestling show in Mass. Um, really cool to meet Rob Van Dam on that day, but in the past year and a half, that was before I've had this goal of sorts to have every former Intercontinental Champion sign my replica Intercontinental Championship belt. Um, as I, it, w- it was a gift I got from Jason for my birthday about a year and a half ago. So already on the belt, the signatures that I have include Rey Mysterio, Cody Rhodes, Christian, Chris Jericho, Billy Gunn, Ricky Steamboat, um, Rob Van, or not Rob Van Dam, excuse me, Ryback, and John Morrison. So I have eight so far. I have plenty more to go, well over 50, um, which isn't too, too many, because a lot of those people held the belt twice, and I'm not considering people that aren't alive, obviously. I can't have Ultimate Warrior sign my championship belt if he's no longer um, alive. So, <laughs> obviously, disregarding those people, it's about 58, 59 people left, including the current Intercontinental Champion, Seth Rollins. So, that's my lifelong goal, to have every 
former IC champion signed that belt. I will not be 100% successful, I imagine. I will never get Triple H or The Rock, but you know what? It's worth, it's a goal worth striving for nonetheless. So that being said, guys, welcome to WrestleRant Radio for September 20th, 2018, as I said at the start of the podcast. Plenty to talk about here today from Hell in a Cell on Sunday to Raw and SmackDown from Monday and Tuesday, respectively. Um, Raw, once again, doing absolutely nothing of note for me. Just really was not that good of a show. I will break it down nonetheless with my uh, two cents on Monday's broadcast. SmackDown was a lot better. Hell in a Cell, I thought, was a great show. I really did. I watched the first half of it twice. Um, first on Sunday when it originally aired, then again on Monday. That was when I finished out the rest of the show. Because the people I watched the show with had not yet watched the full broadcast. Um, but it was well worth watching twice. I thought the first few matches were great. Everything really, except for the main event, I thought was really, really good. The mixed tag team match was practically what you would expect from those four. Um, Miz, Maurice, uh, Miz, Maurice, Brie Bella, and Daniel Bryan. But still, for what it was, I thought it was a good match and I enjoyed it. The main event was really what pissed me off. Uh, just because the booking was not good. Um, the match itself really was nothing out of the ordinary up until the Brock Lesnar surprise run-in, which I thought was cool, but it came at the expense of the end of the match, where we had no decisive winner determined between Roman Reigns and Braun Strowman for the Universal Championship. And that's a problem, but we'll talk more about that in my Hell in a Cell review momentarily. Real quick, a few things I do want to run down here. 205 Live, moving to Wednesday nights as of this week, um, started airing right before NXT just yesterday on, the, on Wednesday the 19th. Um, I think it's a good move. I like 205 Live being right before NXT, but I've said this for a while now, that it's really a mistake to have the show continue to air, not even after SmackDown, but be taped after SmackDown. Now, with this week's show, I'm not sure if it was taped beforehand or afterward. I don't have any clue. I didn't look at the spoilers before I watched the show. Um, I think they would benefit a lot from taping the show before SmackDown, because now after SmackDown, you have the Mixed Match Challenge show, which is a lot longer than it was even a few months ago. The first time they ran Mixed Match Challenge, they did one match a week, and the show ran about eh, 20 minutes or so. Now it runs about 30 to 40 to 50 minutes. I didn't watch it live. I watched the replay on Facebook. It really went about 40 minutes. The first 10 minutes was all buffering and um, just loading and stuff like that. So really about 30 to 40 minutes. But still, that's a long time. And if they move 205 Live right until the back of, or right after Mixed Match Challenge, then it would be in around like 11.30 people would be watching wrestling until, which is ridiculous. Um, that being said, I think it's a lot smarter if you just tape the show before SmackDown every week. And even once Mixed Match Challenge is over, you can still have 205 Live before SmackDown, or at this point, like I've said for months now, move it to Full Sail. I mean, people have really been saying that since day one. This is nothing new here, of course. But I think it just makes more sense, especially now that 205 Live is its own exclusive entity. They're no longer on Raw. They're really not in any of the pay-per-views. I know they were at WrestleMania and on SummerSlam, but they were on the kickoff show. Like, who cares? And the matches were great, but the crowd didn't really react the way they probably should have for both Cedric Alexander versus Mustafa Ali at WrestleMania and Cedric Alexander versus, um, who was it, Drew Gulak at the SummerSlam kickoff show? So again, I would just... Bump them completely to full sale. Do what they do with NXT. Tape a few weeks at a time at once. And it doesn't really matter if spoilers are out there. And then build to one like network special um, every few months. Or even include them on the takeovers. I'd rather see that than include them on the fucking SummerSlam or WrestleMania kickoff shows that no one watches anyway. No one cares about. 
So that that that's what I would do, especially now that 205 Live is no longer, you know, interacting at all with Raw. You know, the Cruiserweights used to be on Raw, so it made no sense for them to compete on Raw and, you know, tape weeks in advance at Fall Sale. That would have made no sense. But now that they're no longer on Raw, why not just do that? Why not completely take them off the radar, have them film from Full Sail, and get the crowd reactions that they deserve. And it would be one thing if 205 Live sucked and people didn't watch it. I mean, people still really aren't watching the show by and large. But it would be one thing if the show was still in the doldrums, like it was for a really long time from the moment it aired, or premiered rather, almost two years ago, up until at the onset of 2018. Like, the show really was not good for a long time. And then they got under new management, they instituted Drake Maverick as the GM, they have Triple H pretty much revamping the entire show, and it feels like a totally different show. 205 Live is one of the most consistently entertaining hours of wrestling that you will see on WWE TV all week. Now I know it airs on the network, but it's still well well worth checking out. And I think the stigma that people still have with the 205 Live show is that it airs after SmackDown, therefore the crowds don't care, so if the crowds don't care, why should viewers at home care? And I understand that mindset, but I think it'd be a big benefit if they just moved it to full sale. And um, I think the crowds would be a lot better, and it would be a lot like what NXT is now. And either whether it follows NXT or precedes NXT, I would keep it at a 7 p.m. slot. I think that's a great time for um, 205 Live on Wednesdays. That That's what I would do, personally. So hopefully this is not a temporary thing where they only move... Um, 205 Live to Wednesdays until the end of the Mixed Match Challenge, which I'm not sure when when it's going to end, probably the end of 2018. I would keep it permanently airing on Wednesdays, but also tape it from Full Sail. You know, assuming WWE can get the rights to do that, and no NXT only really tapes once a month because they can't have the building at Full Sail for more than that time, or something along those lines. Maybe it would cost more to have 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 the show air live, which... It's been rumored for a long time now. I would keep NXT at one hour long. I would not, not do it live if it was going to be a two-hour show. I think that would be a massive mistake um, to expand 205 Live, or rather NXT, to two hours. And I've talked about this at length before here on the show and in articles and stuff. I know they have a deep enough roster at this point to make NXT two hours, but I think the magic of the show is that it just flies by in really an hour or less. They fill it up with multiple matches, angles, vignettes, promos. There's no need for the show to be two hours long. It would get old real, real fast. And NXT, I would trust them to do the right thing and make it as entertaining as possible from week to week. But I still think it would take a bit of the magic away if they made the show two hours. Because a lot of the matches on NXT, let's face it, are enhancement matches. And I don't want to see two hours of enhancement matches on NXT. And they do that because these people, at the end of the day or in a a developmental system. It's a developmental territory for WWE. It's a feeder system. They put all their top stars on there, you know, get them ready for prime time, teach them the camera angles and the WWE style and whatnot to prepare them largely for the main roster, for Raw and SmackDown. So um, NXT, I think keeping it right where it's at, at one hour long, maybe live would be cool from time to time, like the Tommaso Ciampa, NXT Championship win would have come off a lot more shocking had it not been spoiled like a week or two in advance on .com, Uh, which I understand why they do that. The word would have gotten out anyway on social media. They do that just to beat the dirt sheets to it, but that being said, um, I think NXT would be great as a one-hour live show every single week, and maybe even 205 Live as well. If they want to keep it live, that's great, but I would do it from 205. I would do it from Full Sail um, on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. I think that could work. 
Quite honestly, I think if they tape two hours of TV from Full Sail every week, assuming they want to put the money into that operation to make it work, um, they can have 205 Live air first at 7 p.m. at Full Sail, and then before NXT airs, just switch it on over to, to NXT and make it NXT for the 8 p.m. hour on the network live. That's what I would do personally. Um, I don't know if WWE would ever interest or entertain that idea, but that would just be my fantasy booking scenario and getting 205 Live and NXT on the same page on Wednesdays instead of moving 205 Live back to Tuesdays after SmackDown because by that point, people are drained, they're exhausted, they want to go home if you're in the arena. There's no real reason to have it air after SmackDown because people by that point just don't care. They don't want to sit and wait and watch people they've never seen before or people they just don't have a real interest in seeing compete because they don't know how good they are, so it's a bit different. That being said, though, um, we'll see where 205 Live goes from here. I think it's a good move, but they got to take those extra steps in making 205 Live the best possible program it can possibly be. Speaking of the Mixed Match Challenge, as I mentioned earlier, Alexa Bliss is out of Season 2, at least temporarily. She was hurt in storyline, they had said. Um, Kathy Kelly broke the news on Tuesday that Alexa Bliss was hurt at Hell in a Cell. Um, She was having arm issues or suffering an arm injury. I don't know if that's a shooter or a work. It sounded like a sounded like a work, but I guess she could have suffered some sort of injury. Otherwise, I'm not really sure why they would have taken Bliss out of the Mixed Match Challenge. Her and Braun Strowman's team, Little Big, was one of the best parts about that show. It was one of the most anticipated aspects of, of, of Mixed Match Challenge coming back was the return of Team Little Big. So for them to nix that at the last second seems a little fishy to me. Now, I know she was on Raw this week. She didn't wrestle. She didn't get physical at all, so... It is very possible, very likely rather, that she is um, that she is indeed hurt. So that was unfortunate. But she was replaced by Ember Moon. Ember Moon stepped up to the plate and teamed with Braun Strowman. His team, I forgot what they called themselves, Monster Eclipse, I think is what they call themselves. But yeah, you had Braun Strowman, Ember Moon, knockoff Kevin Owens and Natalya. Then and later on in the night, you had AJ Styles and Charlotte Flair beat Naomi and Jimmy Uso. And they're not doing elimination style anymore. Now it's a round-robin tournament. So the team with the most wins, I think, from both brands will face each other in the finals at some point down the road, which is pretty cool. So we'll see how that goes. Um, I'm not sure how long the show is going to last. Like I said, it might last until the end of 2018. It could last two months. I'm not exactly sure, but we will see in due time. Um, quick, two quick contract updates here. I did talk all about this at length a while ago, so I won't go too in-depth with it here, but Rey Mysterio has officially, fingers crossed, it's not... Um, bullshit this time, but Rey Mysterio has reportedly signed a two-year deal with WWE, according to PW Insider. Now, again, we've heard the same song and dance before from Rey Mysterio, and not Rey Mysterio himself, but, you know, a number of people in regards to, like, oh, you know, this is what I want to do, um, I want to go to WWE, but I don't want to sign a two-year deal, I want to sign for a year and a half, whatever it might be, like, I, I guess, I think a two-year deal is, is good, he wanted to sign on for 18 months, um, which I could see why, I could see him not wanted to go to or not wanted to commit himself to solely WWE. Um, but that being said, I think a two-year deal is good. And like I went into great detail before many months ago when I first broke the news about Rey Mysterio coming into WWE, which at that point was not yet official, I think he'd be a great asset to the SmackDown brand. Now I think putting him on 205 Live could work if they really wanted to do that. Um, I would not put him with like Grand Metallic and Lindsay Dorado. Like that's a waste. I love Lucha House Party. Don't get me wrong. But they don't need Rey Mysterio. And Rey Mysterio sure as hell does not need them. 
So putting him on SmackDown, having him work with Andrade or Randy Orton or someone along those lines could be a lot of fun. Him, AJ Styles at some point, Daniel Bryan. There's a lot of dream matches to be had with Rey Mysterio on the SmackDown side. So here's hoping that's where he ends up and at some point in the not-so-distant future. Um, if this is indeed accurate, and then he has signed on with WWE for the next two years, he could show up as soon as after, you know, um, Super Showdown. Or show up in time for Super Showdown if they want him to. I know he was at the Greatest Royal Rumble back in April. He competed in that Greatest Royal Rumble matchup, which really wasn't that great. Uh, but Mysterio did pay, take part in the matchup, so I could see him wanting, or see WWE wanting, to get him on Super Showdown, sell some more tickets at the last minute, and maybe get him at the Crown Jewels show in early November, which I'll talk more about in my Raw review, which not too happy about, but it is what it is. Madison Rain, on the other hand, has since signed with Ring of Honor, which kind of comes as a bit of a surprise to me just because it seemed like she was WWE bound. I talked all about this two weeks ago or whatever when I reviewed All In. I said that she would be a great get for the NXT women's division. She has a lot of history, a lot of experience in the business. Um, she's really, really good. I thought, you know, her match with Mercedes Martinez was good, pretty good even, not great. Not nearly as great as it could have been, considering you know, the experience levels of both women, and she was also knocked out first round, too, was Madison Rain. so it's not like they had big plans for her in the tournament anyway, otherwise they would have put her up against another star. It reminded me a lot of Tessa Blanchard, who was put in a weird spot last year when she faced um, Kyrie Sane, she was knocked out first round, and Tessa Blanchard is no slouch, she's really, really good. Uh, Madison Rain, though, I mean, it's great she's going to Ring of Honor to wrestle for the Women of Honor division, um, she's been doing great work there in recent months taking on the likes of uh, Sumi Sakai of the Women of Honor World Championship and, and all the other women they have on their roster currently, Tennille Dashwood and a few others. So I'm sure she's going to be a great asset for them as well. But that being said, I was selfishly hoping that we would see her in WWE NXT at some point. And that could always be possible down the road. Just because she went to Ring of Honor doesn't mean she can't go to NXT at some point eventually. Uh, but yeah, Madison Reign has since signed with Ring of Honor on that front. Um, so we have some signings this week and also some departures too. On the WWE front, we had Mahabala Shira from Impact. I forgot what his real name was. He went by a different name in WWE, but he has since been released by the company as of uh, Tuesday, according to PW Insider. Uh, Shira signed with the company, I think back in February, March, April, something like that. And it took me by surprise. Now I know he's from India and WWE loves that type of thing. Like they can promote him as the first Indian superstar or all this other shit. The guy was never that good. I know he had experience from Impact and wrestling for them for a few years, but Mahabala Shira sucked. He sucked. He was absolutely awful. So when I heard that he got signed by WWE, it was like, what about James Storm? What about Nick Aldis? All these people that would I would assume would love to go to WWE, but aren't giving are, aren't being given the opportunity to go there. So with Shira, I was like, eh. Another guy, you know, has that ethnic background they look for and diversity and stuff, and they're superstars. That's great, but. Everything else, the guy is subpar in at best. On the mic, never heard a memorable promo from Mahabali Shira. Never saw a single memorable Mahabali Shira match. So I'm glad he's gone from the company. I'm, I'm, obviously, it sucks that someone had to be fired, but I mean, he was never really a good fit there to begin with. He really had no business being in WWE, so he's gone. From Impact, we had Andrew Everett announcing his release from the company this past week. Um, said he wanted to move on to bigger and better things, and he thanked Impact for his time there, his tenure. You know, um, Everett has been a has been a good addition to the Impact X division over the past number of years. He's a really good wrestler. He was first brought in as part of that Gregory Helms faction with him and Trevor Lee. 
Um, they were a great tag team, but they eventually broke off. Everett did his own thing. Him and Lee had a few matches about a year, year and a half ago that were good. Um, Everett, I don't think he ever won the X Division Championship, unless I'm mistaken. But yeah, he had a number of good matches, and he never really got that character development that he probably needed to get to the next level in Impact. But he did win championship gold in the form of the Impact World Tag Team titles just a few short months ago with uh, Zima Ion, or DJZ, whatever they're calling him now. And I really do not care for DJZ all that much. I mean, the guy's a great wrestler, but as a character, he does nothing for me. Um, but I really did enjoy the tag team of Everett and DJZ. I thought they worked wonderfully together. They were a nice boost for that Impact Tag Team division. They won the championships, albeit briefly, but they still won the tag team titles. They dropped the championships shortly thereafter, I think... I was going to say to Scott Steiner and um, Eli Drake, but I think they were the ones they beat to win the titles. And then they lost them to, like, I don't even remember. LAX, maybe. It was one of those two teams. But, yeah, they really have not done much of notes since. I think they were left off the recent set of tapings, and now he's gone. So hopefully Everett can uh, amount to bigger and better things elsewhere. But it is a bit of a blow to the X Division in Impact. And finally, on the WWE front, once again, uh, Shane Helms, speaking of whom, was at the Performance Center this past week, acting as a guest trainer. And it got me thinking, too, like, Shane Helms, the former Hurricane Helms, uh, Gregory Helms, whatever you want to call him, would be an awesome addition to that Performance Center team of trainers and whatever. Um, I think he'd be a great asset there. I mean, he has a lot of experience. He's been wrestling for a long time. And it's kind of crazy, too, when you think of how Shane Helms has really been almost everywhere in the past year, year and a half. I mean, the guy just competed at All In. He was at All In um, a few short weeks ago in that over-budget battle royal. He was with Ring of Honor very briefly. didn't sign a contract with them, but he had a few matches for them, worked a few matches for them a few short months ago. He was obviously an impact as an agent up until like a year ago, and he was in WWE, now at the Performance Center, but he was also in the Royal Rumble match as a surprise entrant earlier this year. I don't want to see him brought back for 205 Live. I mean, I, I doubt he'd be able to cut weight in 2018. But um, as a trainer at the PC, I think would be a fantastic fit for him. So hopefully all goes well with him as a guest trainer at the PC. And we see Shane Helms brought back as a trainer down the road for the PC. I think he'd be, uh, like I said, a, ter a terrific trainer for the uh, recruits at the WWE Performance Center. Now we move forward here to my two cents on Hell and a Cell from this past Sunday. All things considered, I thought it was a very good show. Now, I know there's some debate, like, was it really as good as some fans made it out to be? When you put it up against almost every other pay-per-view from WWE in 2018, then yeah, it's actually very good. Um, SummerSlam, I thought, was good. Too long at four hours in length, but it was, I thought it was all right. Um, Extreme Rules sucked. Backlash sucked. Uh, Money in the Bank, which I was at, I thought was all right. Royal Rumble was entertaining. Fastlane, Elimination Chamber were all right, really exactly what you would expect them to be, but they were decent. And um, what else was there? WrestleMania? I thought that was pretty good too. But I thought, yeah, Hell in a Cell, all things considered, especially given that the build was not all that strong, it was a very good show on the whole. You had a lot of great wrestling on this show, not just one or two very good matches, like three or four very good matches. And then the main event just kind of went off a cliff from there with the main event, which I'll talk about and alluded to earlier, and I'll talk more about that momentarily. But main event notwithstanding, um, I think those, you know, I think the show was uh, really, really good. I thoroughly enjoyed it, start, uh, start to finish. Um, the results that were well done, the in-ring action was above average, and um, yeah. So let's break it down here, starting with the kickoff show, the New Day, 
defending the SmackDown Tag Team titles against Rusev Days, Rusev, and Aiden English. Very good match here, especially by kickoff show standards. I thought all four guys worked well together. Um, I never really thought the SmackDown Tag Team titles were ever truly in jeopardy of changing hands here. Um, but still, from an in-ring standpoint, I thought it was a fun little match on the kickoff show. If there was any one match to be bumped from the main card, it might as well have been New Day versus Rusev Day. Um, again, I thought the two teams worked well together, but it really had no build. Rusev Day just won a tag team title tournament on SmackDown, and the two teams were not feuding by any stretch. So it made sense to put this on the kickoff. But I thought it was really good. They did a good job of making some people think that maybe Rusev Day had New Day's number and they were about to win the SmackDown Tag Titles. Obviously not the case. The New Day Merge Victorious, still the SmackDown Tag Team Champions. Rusev and Aiden English teasing tension in the process. I think it was English who took the pinfall loss for his team, and I'll talk more about that in my SmackDown review a little later on. Um, kicking off the actual show in a Hell in a Cell match, we had Randy Orton taking on Jeff Hardy. And what I thought was a great match, um, maybe not the greatest Hell in a Cell match I've ever seen, because they did not exactly utilize the structure all that much. Um, I thought it was a case where, you know, it was a great match, very aggressive, very extreme, very hardcore. Like, this is the type of match that I want to see at Extreme Rules. Inside the cell, not exactly necessary. I know why they did it, just to appease Jeff Hardy and give him his long-time long wish of competing inside Hell in the Cell. And also set up the big spot at the end. But beyond that, this match didn't really need the structure. Not much, you know, not as little as the main event did. The main event had absolutely no business being inside the cell. But still, I thought this was a really, really good match. Both guys worked very well together, making for a just a... Uh, Stellar sequence of moves here from start to finish. Both guys um, having their time to shine, incorporating a slew of weapons. It was essentially a TLC match inside Hell in the Cell. You had tables, you had ladders, you had chairs, you had all these other, you know, um, weapons and smoke and mirrors. But I thought smoke and mirrors, I say that as a good thing. I thought this match really had everything to keep fans engaged and uh, further the story along and tell that story properly between Jeff Hardy and Randy Orton after all the abuse that both guys have put each other through dating back to July. Um, in the end, as I had mentioned, Jeff Hardy doing a crazy spot off the top of the cage. He was going to do that thing that he normally does with the two ladders where he goes on a shorter ladder and projects himself from one to the other. Um, but he ended up going to the top of the taller ladder, wasting too much time in the process. But he climbed onto the top of the structure, not on top of it, but like he held on to the top of the chain and swung himself back and forth before he fell face-first right through a table. He was hoping to hit Orton, who had since moved out of the way. Orton capitalized, got the 1-2-3, despite the referee saying that Hardy was in no condition to perform. Orton said, fuck it, I'm pinning him anyway, do your job. Got the 1-2-3 and won the match. So Orton successfully vanquishing his first fan favorite in his pursuit of knocking off every beloved hero on the SmackDown side. Um, again, great way to kick off the show. I thought this was exactly what it needed to be, and even then some, with how violent it was. Um, so yeah, I love this. I really, really did. I think Orton is firing in all cylinders right now as a heel, and it can continue to kill it going forward, um, depending on who they have him target next, and it really could be anyone. I know, like I said, Rey Mysterio is on his way in. Could it be a Rey Mysterio? I think whoever he faces next, he should beat them also. I could also see it being a case where, um, where he's going to be whoever. I could see him beating, uh, or facing, rather, AJ Styles, 
or he could face a few scrubs in the next month or so before being set up for a championship match coming out of Super Showdown. I could see that being a case, too, after AJ is done with um, Samoa Joe. Assume that feud does indeed wrap up at Super Showdown. But, um, yeah, so, again, I thought this was really good, whether it be Rey Mysterio, AJ Styles, Daniel Bryan, maybe even Rusev. Orton has a number of potential opponents to work with through the end of the year and beyond. For the SmackDown Women's Championship, we had Becky Lynch taking on Charlotte Flair in a battle of the former friends. Um, I thought this was great. I mean, both women have always worked well together, dating back to their initial feud back in 2016. So um, no real surprise here that the match was great. The finish came out of nowhere. Becky did win clean to clinch her second ever SmackDown Women's Championship, almost two years to the day from the night that she won her first SmackDown Women's Championship at Backlash 2016, becoming the inaugural champion in the process. Um, but yeah, from an in-the-ring standpoint, I thought this was a very high-quality match. Both women having stellar showings here. And in the end, Becky does prove that she's better than Charlotte with no cheating, no shenanigans. It was a clean victory. One, two, three, clean as a sheet. Becky Lynch, your new SmackDown Women's Champion. And afterward, Becky Lynch was uh, greeted by a handshake by Charlotte, hoping to show respect to Becky. And Becky, rightfully so, said absolutely not and walked off and kind of taunted in her face before leaving to the back. As she should. I mean, what has Charlotte ever done for Becky? Um, so Becky was completely in the right here and blown off Charlotte and, you know, going to celebrate her championship victory elsewhere. So, again, this was very good. I figured Charlotte would win. I guess we had to have one title change in the show. We didn't have to, but I figured there would be. Um, you might as well change the championship here. Put Charlotte in chase mode. She's better in chase mode anyway, at least as a babyface. Um, so I'm glad Becky is now in the driver's seat, the new SmackDown Women's Champion. And as a heel, she's been a relevation. She is a natural babyface. People do want to side with Becky and even in Tulsa, which is where they were on Tuesday for SmackDown. People still sided with Becky over Charlotte, which is not a good sign. Tulsa is no Brooklyn. They're no Philadelphia. They're no Canada. They're no London. It's not like they're cheering all the heels here. That reaction was certainly telling. So we'll see where they go from here, whether they have Becky continue on as the heel, which is what my assumption is. They're not going to do a double turn at this point. I know that was rumored initially going into the pay-per-view. They're not doing a double turn, so people can just calm down about that. Um, but yeah, if this match was any indication. I'm sure the rematch at Super Showdown in Australia next month will be equally entertaining. Maybe we lead to a big blow-off match at Evolution, whether it be... Okay, maybe not inside Hell in the Cell because we just had the pay-per-view here, but maybe like an Iron Woman match or a ladder. I think a ladder match would be really cool. Now, I know TLC is not until December, and I guess they could hold off on a Charlotte-Becky ladder match if they wanted to. I'm not sure if the feud would stretch on that long, but I have faith that they could get the feud to that point. Um, again, like I've said, either as rivals or as partners, Becky and Charlotte are two of the best on this roster. SmackDown, Raw, or otherwise, whatever. They're two of the best in the entire company. That's the real money feud over that championship. Not Charlotte, not Charlotte and Carmella, not Carmella and Asuka. It's Becky Lynch and Charlotte, and they've really been revitalizing that at one point dull, and it still at times is dull, SmackDown women's scene, because they have the Iconics, they have Absolutions, Mandy Rose and Paige, or Mandy Rose and Sonya Deville, excuse me. They have um, Naomi, they have Asuka, but they're not really doing anything right now. They just really just exist on the show. So it is cool they're doing a lot more with Becky and Charlotte, and it has, you know, a lot of juice still behind it. A lot of uh, a lot left in the tank for this feud, so I would not blow it off just yet. Also in the show for the Raw Tag Team titles, we had Dolph Ziggler and Drew McIntyre successfully retaining against Seth Rollins and Dean Ambrose in what was easily hands down the match of the night. And I figured last week when I talked about it that 
I mean, the Raw Tag Team Division is on ice right now. No one can possibly care less about the that, about that division. I mean, Woken Matt Hardy's out, so him and Bray Wyatt are no more, at least for right now. Um, the B Team are a bunch of losers. The Ascension are losers. Heath Slater and Rhino are losers. Titus Worldwide are losers. Brazongo, even though one of them's out right now, are losers. There's the Authors of Pain. They don't really mean anything. We haven't seen the Revival since they got, you know, fucked over for their championship match. They got that, that, That's what I also don't understand. They were going to go for the championships against Ziggler and McIntyre. They were attacked beforehand by Ziggler and McIntyre, thus giving Ziggler and McIntyre the tag team title shot that the Revival was supposed to get. The Revival did not bounce back at all. I thought we would see them on Raw the next week and they would be like, where's my title shot? We deserved it. What happened? What, are we supposed to believe they're out hurt or something? Like, if Ziggler and Rollins can fall off the top of a cell or the side of a cell, whatever, and be back the next night, I think the Revival can survive a backstage attack when they're thrown into a pile of pipes or whatever it is. So that's a bit illogical. But nonetheless, this was an awesome match. Both teams... Um, unsurprisingly working wonderfully together. That chemistry was just top-notch. And it felt like true tag team wrestling between what we saw here, what we see on SmackDown sometimes with the New Day and the Usos, and also in NXT with the Undisputed Era and Mustache Mountain. Tag team wrestling can be really, really good when WWE wants it to be. Um, I know Ziggler and Ambrose and Ziggler and... or Ziggler and McIntyre and Rollins and Ambrose aren't really two real tag teams because they won't be around for the long term. But still, I thought this was an overall very entertaining affair, and the finish was fantastic, with Rollins going for that, like, um, suplex off the top rope, and then, like, a Falcon's arrow, or whatever it is. Before he can hit the Falcon's arrow, um, McIntyre came out of nowhere and hit the Claymore kick on Rollins, only to allow Ziggler to pick up the victory from there. So, again, I thought it was a fantastic finish. The right result, McIntyre and Ziggler just won the championships a few weeks ago. It would have been way too soon for them to drop the championships here. But yeah, overall, this was very, very, very good. Um, AJ Styles and Samoa Joe having a WWE Championship clash at Hell in a Cell as well. This was also exceptional. The crowd did not seem to agree. They might have been still recovering from the tag team title match. But it's hard to blame them. Um, I thought they had another really, really good match like they did at SummerSlam. And going back and forth, and they just, I don't know, as opponents, they just have they just click they just have that it factor about their matches that always makes them worth watching and you throw in the personal animosity that they have for each other in storyline of course with the whole wendy thing going on right now um it makes the match that much more must see so i thought this was great up until the finish which was fluky i mean it was a smart way to keep the championship on styles so i will say that but at the same time styles very clearly did tap and they're treating it like, oh, Smojo complained, which is why he's getting another match. Well, no, it's because he actually did win. The referee did not see it. And I thought AJ would react to this a bit differently than he did on SmackDown. He's like, yeah, but at the end of the day, I'm still champion. Like, that's a heel thing to say. So I thought that was pretty strange. But you know what? If nothing else, they protected Joe. They're going to further the feud. They will face off again at Super Showdown for that WWE Championship on the line. So that being said, I think um, Samoa Joe, his days as WWE Champion... Might as well be over. Um, I don't think he's winning the championship in Australia. AJ still has, you know, Andrade to go through. He has The Miz. He has Randy Orton. There's still a number of opponents left for AJ to face before he drops that championship to Joe. So I don't think AJ is going to drop the championship in Australia. We'll see. It will be a no count out, no disqualification, anything goes match. But um, yeah, even though even if Samoa Joe does not win the championship at Super Showdown 
at least at least the series of matches between Styles and Joe has been what we all asked for from the moment they both signed on to work for WWE. Because I never thought we would see the day where we would get a Styles and Joe feud. And now we're in the midst of it on SmackDown, which is fucking fantastic. So again, two thumbs up for that. The Miz and Maurice beating Daniel Bryan and, B- and Brie Bella. I really can't comment a lot on this match just because I didn't really see most of it. I was hardly paying attention. It was okay from what I saw. It was nothing special. Miz and Bryan obviously carrying a majority of the matchup. But it was alright. You know, further the story along between both couples. And in the end, again, shockingly enough, Roman uh, the Miz and Maurice did emerge victorious by with Maurice pinning Brie Bella to pick up the victory. So that was surprising. Um, I was hoping that Brie and Brian would win here just to allow Miz to win the Super Showdown match coming up in a few weeks. But Miz won here, so I assume Brian's winning in Australia, which I think is too soon for that. And I think I would hope they would drag it out a little longer. But again, whatever. It's fine the way it is. Um, and I do think Daniel Bryan will beat The Miz on that show, hopefully. I mean, if not, Miz winning would be fine too, but I do think Bryan's ultimate comeuppance over um, The Miz should come at WrestleMania on a bigger stage for a bigger prize than just freaking Pride or something like that. So we'll see where it goes, but yeah, Miz goes 2-0 over Daniel Bryan in recent months. For the Raw Women's Championship, we had Ronda Rousey taking on Alexa Bliss. This was a much better match than what we saw at SummerSlam. The SummerSlam match was a complete squash. And you're probably asking yourself, then why was this not a squash? Why did this match go 12 or so minutes? Well, because Alexa Bliss targeted the injured ribs of Ronda Rousey on Raw. So Ronda had an out for Alexa Bliss to get in, you know, the advantage over her, at least early on. Alexa scored a little too much offense over Rousey. It was a bit unrealistic, but... Again, they told the story that Rousey was coming into this thing hurt, so she was at a disadvantage going in. She wasn't going to lose, but it was about how much how much pain should we, would she inflict, how much punishment would she have to endure, in, endure before taking the win, before retaining her championship. And she took, you know, quite a few, you know, quite a bit of offense at the hands of Alexa Bliss. So overall, I thought it was a good match with a solid story layout. The women didn't get involved on the outside all that much. That being Natalia, um, Alicia Fox, and Mickey James. But still, I thought this was good. And it sets up Rousey's next program for, very likely, Brie Bella. I know Ronda will be teaming with the Bella Twins in Australia for Super Showdown against the Riot Squad. You can only guess who's winning that one, right? But um, I would imagine that Rousey will be winning that match and teasing some sort of tension with Nikki to set up their match for the... um, Evolution pay-per-view, which has been rumored dating back to SummerSlam, so that would not surprise me at all. And then we get to the main event, which, like I said earlier, I was not a major fan of at all. It was Roman Reigns defending the Universal Championship against Braun Strowman inside Hell in a Cell, which was completely pointless. Um, Mick Foley also served no purpose as the special guest referee. Now, I love me some Foley. He looked awesome here. Looks like he's been dropping some pounds since the last time we saw him on WWE TV doing the DDP yoga, which is likely working wonders for him. But still, um, Foley did not need to be involved in this match at all. There was no real reason for him to be involved. He didn't even take a bump, which I'm happy about, but it's like he got pepper sprayed by Paul Heyman. Again, why even bother? And at that point, if there's no referee, you get another referee. And that's how the match ends. The referee calling for the bell because of interference is ridiculous. Because how often over the last 20 years have we seen interference in a Hell in a Cell match? 
Did fucking Kane interfere in the 97 match um, and cost Undertaker the win? Did Kane interfere in that match and then the match just ended after he attacked the Undertaker? No. He attacked the Undertaker, which was what allowed Shawn Michaels to pick up the win. Now, I know in this case, Brock Lesnar attacked both men, but at the end of the day, it should not matter. It's a Hell in a Cell match with one of the worst finishes in the history of this concept, dating back almost 20 years. This was easily one of the worst Hell in a Cell matches I've ever seen. There was also one stretch where Roman and Braun were out in the ring for like no joke 10 minutes because they were too busy, the cameramen that is, focusing, they were too busy focusing on Seth Rollins and Drew McIntyre brawling, Dean Ambrose and Dolph Ziggler and all these others. It's like, oh my God. But yeah, um, I think it could have been a lot better. Roman Reigns and Braun Strowman had a great series of matches in 2017. Why they did not repeat that here is beyond me. You know, they wanted to keep the belt on Roman. They didn't want to hurt Braun again, which they pretty much did by, which was something kind of uh, forgotten about amidst the, you know, in the middle of all the chaos. That being that um, Braun Strowman was cashing in his Money in the Bank contract. This was an official Money in the Bank cash-in. And he failed to win the championship. Now, I know he wasn't pinned. I know he wasn't submitted. It wasn't a DQ finish. It was a no contest. But still, Braun failed to win the championship. Again. He failed last year at SummerSlam. He failed last year at No Mercy. He failed earlier this year at the Royal Rumble. It's like, oh my God, how much more does this guy have to do to get a run with the championship? But it has since been announced on November 2nd, live from Saudi Arabia, where they're giving us our second... Saudi Arabia WWE Network Special of 2018. It's called Crown Jewel. And on that show, in the main event, it's going to be Roman Reigns versus Brock Lesnar. Oh my God, again. I don't care who else is involved. Roman and Brock, again, regardless of whether it's a one-on-one, uh, triple threat, fatal four-way, or a hundred-way, whatever the fuck, like a hundred people involved, anything involving Brock and Roman in the same match, to me, is nauseating. And we're getting it again at the Crown Jewel show in November. So that sucks. Um, but yeah, beyond that, they will be having that match, and, uh, the whole Crown Jewel thing, I'm not a fan of, I'm really not, I mean, if they want to do the show, because they're making a ton of money from Saudi Arabia, that's fine, I really do not want them to get into the habit of doing two Saudi Arabia shows in one year, there, it really wasn't even that special to begin with, that Saudi Arabia Greatest Royal Rumble show was a train wreck, it was a disaster, so, again, I wish they really would just kind of move on from that, and, other shows, focus on the Royal Rumble, focus on Survivor Series, focus on your B-level pay-per-views, and not so much show this live special from Australia, this live special from Saudi Arabia, that's the biggest issue with Raw right now, and to an extent SmackDown too, that because they have a lot of shows to build to, before it was Hell in the Cell, um, Evolution, and what else was there, Evolution and Super Showdown, now that Hell in the Cell's in the books, we have Crown Jewel, which isn't happening for another month and a half. So we have the Crown Jewel thing, we have Evolution, we have um, Super Showdown, we have so many fucking shows in the next month and a half. It's ridiculous, absolutely ridiculous. But that was my review of Hell in the Cell. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Like I said, would love to know what you guys think on the pay-per-view. Be sure to tweet me, Facebook me, whatever. But um, yeah, I thought Hell in the Cell gets two thumbs up, except for the main, uh, except for the bad main event, which did not need to happen at all. The booking of that match really did suck. It was really a slap in the face to anyone who purchased a ticket to that pay-per-view because they just it, it was completely pointless to send the crowd home on a note where it was like we had no winner. Now, Brock returning, I would say that made up for it. It didn't. It was a cool surprise for someone that did not know that he was about to return in that match. 
you know, much less that match. But still, um, you do not close out a show without a decisive winner. Maybe a DQ, maybe a count out, a no contest is a fucking joke. But beyond that, I thought the show was really good. Now, moving into Raw from Monday night, September 17th, um, another dreadful edition of the show really did nothing dreadful, dull, and just did nothing to intrigue me or excite me in any form or fashion. But we kicked off the show with Constable Baron Corbin, or rather the acting Raw general manager, I should say, um, granting Brock Lesnar a rematch for the Universal Championship. Now, mind you, Paul Heyman did address this to Kurt Angle that Brock has his rematch. And Kurt Angle said he will never be able to cash in that rematch as long as I'm here. Well, he's no longer there. They appointed uh, Corbin as the special guest GM. And um, at least for right now, the acting GM as they call him. Which is fine, but the guy really just is beyond boring. And Brock Lesnar getting another title shot? Oof. As long as he doesn't win, then I don't care. But it's like, my God. Go off and focus on UFC. He did look great at the pay-per-view. Um when he had the beard and, like, the the UFC, like, clothes, like, not tap out, but, like, the sweatpants and all this other stuff. The guy looked like he was ready to step inside the octagon. He has really leaned out. But, um, yeah, no, I thought this was a fine opening segment that successfully set up the Universal Championship match for the Crown Jewel show in early November. We had Drew McIntyre taken on Dean Ambrose one-on-one in a very good match. Drew McIntyre did win clean, which was refreshing. Um, that was simply just to further their feud and kill TVs on, but I thought it was easily the best match in the entire show. Chad Gable taking on Victor with Bobby Roode in his corner, Connor in Victor's corner. Um, yeah, this was, this was good. It was fine. You know, he was able to signature, uh, showcase his signature spots and show people what he was made of and all this other stuff, which is fine. But I do think Gable is much better than this and they could be doing so much more with the guy if they actually wanted to. So, again, that being said, I thought this was okay. They showcased him just fine. And um, what was the other thing I was going to say? Oh, yeah, Bobby Roode, very evident that he's going to be going heel soon. Very obvious that Bobby Roode is going heel in the not-so-distant future just based off his mannerisms towards Chad Gable. But this was fine. Didn't really serve much of a purpose beyond that, but it was okay. Um, The Undertaker was out next, saying a whole lot of nothing regarding his upcoming match with Triple H at Super Showdown early next month. Aside... From the announcement that Kane will be joining him in his corner against Triple H at the show. Um, obviously fueling speculation that it will be the Brothers of Destruction versus D-Generation X at that Crown Jewel show in November. Because it's been reported for months, like I've been saying for a while now, that Shawn Michaels has been offered a lot of money to be competing in Saudi Arabia on that Crown Jewel show. So... With Kane being involved here, and it would take a lot for Kane to come back to wrestling right now. I mean, the guy's currently involved in the mayor, uh, the mayor stuff in Knoxville County in Tennessee. So for him to lace back up the boots, I mean, granted, he's not wrestling on this upcoming show, but he likely will at the Crown Jewel show in November. It, it's got to be something special. So I assume that's where this is leading, and, you know, time will tell. Um, it does, in, you know, it does add to my interest in the matchup to see where they go with Taker and Kane and Triple H and Sean and to see the Brothers of Destruction back together again. But beyond that, this match doesn't serve much of a purpose unless it does set up some sort of Michaels in-ring return for the Crown Jewel show, um, which, again, I really don't want to see. I'd rather see him honor his retirement and stay retired, but... For what it is, I thought this was fine and uh, only built even further intrigue for the upcoming Taker-Triple H match early next month. Bailey and Dana Brooke went one-on-one in a complete throwaway match. It was fine for what it was. 
Um, didn't really serve much of a purpose beyond that, but I uh, just only further the recent Dana Brooks storyline that um, it's going to be her on her own leaving Titus Worldwide, whatever. Bailey and Banks continue to be wasted big time on Monday Night Raw. Authors of Pain competing in yet another squash, this time beating two scrubs named Gregory James and Barrett Brown. No promo from Drake Maverick this week, but I'm fine with him as the mouthpiece. I mean, again, it's better than nothing. Gets AOP back on track, but hopefully it's not too, too long before AOP is facing main roster tag teams. Now, I know there's not a ton of teams for them to face right now. They've already faced Titus Worldwide a bunch of times. Brazongo's out hurt. Hardy and Wyatt are no more, at least temporarily, with Hardy seemingly retired or something like that, which we'll talk about in just a second. Um, We have the Revival, I guess. We have... Ziggler and McIntyre, we have the Shield, um, Slater and Rhino, they can maybe move on to eventually, They even though they already beat them twice when they first debuted many months back, so I'm not sure what they do from here. We'll see, but um, a win's a win, at least they're maintaining momentum for now. For the Intercontinental Championship, for seemingly the 87th time, we had Seth Rollins defending against Dolph Ziggler, and a good match, um, they didn't keep it, you know, it wasn't as good as it could have been, but they were also both selling their injuries from Hell in a Cell the night prior, so it made sense to keep, the thi- to keep this thing as short as sweet as possible. So I appreciated that. Rollins retained the title, as he should have. The Bella Twins came to the aid of Ronda Rousey when the Riot Squad came out to attack both Natalia and Ronda Rousey, and Natalia was already laid out backstage by the Riot Squad. Again, only further build for the Bella Twins and Ronda versus the Riot Squad on that Super Showdown show coming up. Elias taking on Bobby Lashley. Uh, the match itself was completely forgettable, but they did um, get Leo Rush on Raw for the first time ever. Now, I know he was on Raw last week, but that was a pre-taped vignette at like a gym or something. This was Leo Rush's official Raw debut, and I thought he did great. Um, cut a great promo, was very good on commentary, and he made a lasting impression in avoiding um, Kevin Owens and Elias. He was like jumping all over the place and he was trying to avoid them at all costs. And him and Bobby teamed up to take out Kevin Owens and Elias. So really it would make sense for it to be Leo and Bobby versus Elias and Kevin Owens in Australia, not Bobby and John Cena, who we have not seen since the greatest Royal Rumble show back in April. But they want to get seen on the show. That's the only spot I guess that makes sense for him, question mark, but whatever. Um, just further solidifying my interest in the Bobby Lashley and Leo Rush stuff. I think it's a great pairing to have those two um, paired off with each other. Rush as the mouthpiece for Lashley is a great, it's a win-win deal. It gets Rush on Raw. He can wrestle at some point. Maybe Lashley will become the enforcer for him. I mean, the only really thing, the only real thing missing here is them being heels. But beyond that, I think it works. Gets both guys on TV and finally gives Lashley something meaningful to do beyond wrestling Elias and Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens and pointless matches that people don't care about. Speaking of pointless matches, the next match was pretty pointless, aside from how it reintroduced Nia Jax to Raw. Uh, Nia Jax came back for the first time since Extreme Rules, teaming with Ember Moon to take on Mickey James and Alicia Fox. Not the best match, but the baby faces did go over here with Nia Jax pinning uh, either James or Fox. I forgot who, but the match was okay. In the main event, a no-disqualification match for the Universal Championship. Baron Corbin losing to Roman Reigns. Uh, The match sucked. Uh, They had a match for the first time ever one-on-one a few weeks ago, I think, right before SummerSlam, if I'm not mistaken. And it wasn't any good at all. Um, And they revisited that here, and they just don't have any chemistry. They really don't. It was very boring. Um, This was a very boring match. You had to know Corbin was not winning the championship. Um, he came close at the end there. Um, I think he might have hit an end of days or something like that that Roman Reigns kicked out of. Um, it was made a no-DQ match after Baron Corbin got himself DQ'd, and then he used the GM so he can restart the match. Same thing that he did to 
Finn Balor a few weeks ago, who was also persona non grata on the show, by the way. Uh, but nonetheless, this the match was all right, and Roman Reigns is still your universal champion, further setting up Roman, Seth, and Dean the Shield versus Braun, Dolph, and Drew for Australia's Super Showdown event. So, as a setup show for Super Showdown, for Super Showdown, I thought this episode was all right. Beyond that, really was not terribly exciting whatsoever. Um, before we move on to SmackDown, real quick, before we wrap up the show as well, do you want to note this? Um, this was made the headlines, I think, maybe last Thursday or Friday. Matt Hardy, seemingly retired from WWE. Maybe not WWE, but like from entering action. At least for right now. He's been teasing retirement now for a few months on Twitter. It may have finally become official. He did wrestle a match over the weekend, his last final advertised appearance at a house show, because we've not seen him on TV since before... SummerSlam. He lost a three-way tag team title match to the Revival and the B team. And I think it was Wyatt that was pinned, and we've not seen Wyatt on TV either since then. But yeah, Matt Hardy has since taken time off to heal some injuries. He said he's going home. So I think the door was left open for an in-ring return. I'd be shocked if Matt Hardy never wrestled again. Maybe not with WWE, but he has said on multiple occasions he does want to wrap up his in-ring career in the company, in WWE. So... I'd be very surprised if he didn't re-sign with them in the spring. Um, but yeah, that's something to keep an eye out for. Matt has you know, obviously had a very illustrious, legendary career dating back decades in the tag team division and singles action and the cruiserweight division and Impact and Ring of Honor and many other promotions. So Matt Hardy's contributions to wrestling should not be understated. I myself have met Matt at least five or six times. He has been amazing every single time. Uh, one of the nicest people I've ever met. One of the biggest inspirational idols I've ever had from pro wrestling. So, and just in general. Um, so it would suck if Matt never wrestled another match in WWE. Again, I doubt that's the case. I think he will be back at some point. Maybe not as Woken Matt Hardy. He kind of teased the end of the Woken persona in that video that he put out on his social media um, last week. So we'll see where this goes. It does suck that Matt will no longer be on TV for the foreseeable future, but Hopefully we see the uh, hopefully we see the return of the Woken One in the not so distant future. Maybe a little down the road. Maybe after he's healed up some injuries of his from the last number of months, years, whatever, and we see Matt Hardy back um, in full force, back in full form at some point down the road. Moving into SmackDown real quick before we wrap it up. Daniel Bryan crashing an episode of Miz TV, um, pulling one over on the Miz and Maurice, who try to pull over one on him. So Brian has the upper hand going into Super Showdown in Australia where the two will clash in a number one contenders match for the WWE Championship. And like I said earlier, considering Brian lost that first match to Miz um, at Hell in the, or at SummerSlam, lost another match to Miz at Hell in the Cell in the mixed tag team match, it would only make sense for, um, for Brian to get his win back in Australia and become the new number one contender to the championship. Now, I would have no problem with Brian losing to Miz again. Now, I know... Kind of makes him out to look like a loser, but it can always, you know, you can always pay it off in the end by giving Brian his win over Miz at WrestleMania. If they have Miz go on and become WWE champion, and uh, maybe have Brian win the Rumble, that's what I would do. But personally, we'll see. Uh, you know, personally, that's that's what I would love to see in the main event of next year's WrestleMania. But we'll see what they end up doing. But I am looking forward to that next one-on-one match in Australia. It should be great. 
Cesaro taking on Kofi Kingston here, picking up the victory. It made no sense for the bar to get attacked in title shot at Super Showdown. They have lost the last two tag team title tournaments on SmackDown to crown new number one contenders to the championships. So for them to just randomly give in a title shot made absolutely no sense. So that being said, um, it was imperative that Cesaro went over here to get a boost of momentum over the New Day, over Kofi Kingston, and the match was good too. So good stuff here. Cesaro goes over. Shinsuke Nakamura, since he did not retain, or rather defend even, uh, just alone defend, the championship, the United States title at Hell in the Cell on Sunday, GM Page declared that he must defend the championship on this show. So again, no real rhyme or reason as to why it was Rusev. Nakamura was really just an afterthought here. Came across like a backdrop for a bigger story between Rusev and Aiden English. So there was no logic behind Rusev getting the title shot, but it was whatever. So the match was fine. Nothing too exciting. Um, but you knew the finish was coming with Aiden English inadvertently, quote-unquote, costing Rusev the match before turning on him afterwards. So it does look like Aiden English will be the heel in this feud with Rusev, which I think is good. Rusev should be given a full-fledged babyface run on the SmackDown side. It would have made no sense to turn him back heel considering how popular he is right now. Um, English, I mean, he's better off with Rusev than against Rusev, but still, I think it would be better if... Um, they were together than apart, just because if they're apart, then, eh, you know, Aiden English on his own really does not, he's never really done much for me, so we'll see where this goes, I don't think it's going to end terribly well for Aiden English, but at least they blew off weeks and weeks and weeks, if not months of these two T's in tension, it finally led somewhere with uh, Aiden English finally just uh, blowing a gasket and turning on Rusev, and Lana's kind of caught in the middle. So, again, I thought the match was fine, but it finally cemented the split between Rusev Days, Rusev, and Aiden English. Um, AJ Styles wrestling his first match on SmackDown in nearly two months, this time against Andrade Sinalamas, who I believe was the last opponent that he faced on SmackDown back in July. Um, this was a great match, an awesome match here from Andrade and AJ. Um, Almas was given a lot of offense over the WWE Champion for the second straight time, an even better match than they wrestled the last time two months ago. And he looked like a star even in defeat. My only real complaint about this was that Samoa Joe came out afterward anyway, so why not just have him come out during the match? Now, I appreciate a clean finish, but it would have made more sense if Joe came out to attack AJ and um, they protected almost in defeat and they didn't have him get pinned again, but it's not a big deal because the guy always looks good whenever he's in the ring with whoever he's up against, whether it be AJ, Daniel Bryan, Sankara. The guy's, um, guy's in-ring performances speak for themselves. So, anyway, great stuff here. AJ Styles goes over, forces Samoa Joe to uh, flee from the ring afterward. Asuka making short work of Billy Kay ahead of the tag team match at Super Showdown that we'll see Naomi and um, Asuka taking on the Iconics, Peyton Royce and Billy Kay. So, this was fine. Didn't really care about it, but it was okay. And then the main event segment saw Charlotte Flair interrupt the SmackDown Women's Championship Coronation with Becky Lynch. And I wasn't, you know... Too surprised that happened, but the back and forth that they had I thought was great. Their feud so far has been very compelling, very exciting, and I think they're going to have even better matches down the road, including at Super Showdown and hopefully again at Evolution. And Becky got the last lap here attacking Charlotte Flair before the end of the episode. So it's interesting. Um, Just because, you know, Becky has really gotten the better of Charlotte almost at every single turn, which she never would have had done to her if she was a babyface. So maybe this is for the better. People want to side with Lynch. Charlotte Flair is not the most endearing, sympathetic babyface on the roster, so that's an issue. Her promo here was really not that good because she's not, again, not sympathetic as a babyface. But it furthered that feud along going into the rematch at Super Showdown in less than three weeks. 
And that does it for SmackDown, Raw, Hell in the Cell. Kind of a condensed review of each show. But nonetheless, thank you guys for tuning in to WrestleRant Radio this week for September 20th, 2018. As always, you can find me on the socials at WrestleRant on Twitter, at Facebook.com backslash Graham.GSM.Matthews, on YouTube at YouTube.com backslash C backslash Graham.GSM.Matthews. And of course, new episodes of WrestleRant Radio every single Thursday. You can rate the show, review the show, subscribe to the show on iTunes. Simply search up WrestleRant Radio on the Apple Podcast app. You not only get every new episode on Thursdays, but also every archived episode dating back to October of 2013. So with all that being said, guys, we'll be back next Thursday with another all-new edition of WrestleRant Radio. Nothing too newsworthy, I think, about the show that comes off the top of my head right now. Uh, No predictions, reviews. Um, actually, yes, we have predictions and a preview for the Ring of Honor Death Before Dishonor pay-per-view. I think that Friday, so we'll talk all about that at the start of next week's show. So with all that being said, guys, have a great rest of your week and slash weekend. I'm Graham Giusa Matthews, and I'll catch your ass down the road.